Hello, welcome to the Life Done Differently podcast with me, Neil Whitten, and my co-host Ray Richards. Join us on our journey to find out what separates the doers from the thinkers. Watcher, uh, welcome to our conversation with the musician and artist Boff Woolley. Boff grew up in Burnley in a Mormon family. He embraced the art and punk scenes, experimented with different types of music, and with his anarchist mates from the squat, formed Chumbawamba, which became famous for tug-thumping and pouring water over John Prescott at the 1998 Brits. This club or band, Chumbawamba, unusually seemed to have navigated their way through an industry with their values intact. It really is a fascinating story where Boff and others seem to have found a way to balance being oneself with being part of a group and thrived. Enjoy, Boff, let it be. Yeah, it's so nice to be with you finally because we've been trying to line this up for a little while, haven't we? Um, Yeah. And um, also we were just saying this is the first podcast we've done in person for a couple of years or something now because of pandemic and all that. So it's also fantastic to be up here in Otley in your world, um, us southerners. We're not used to this northern weather. (laughs) (laughs) It's quite nice. Yeah. Yeah. So where do we start off? We, we normally like to ask the question, when you, when you meet people these days and they ask, what do you do? That horrible question, what do you do? Yeah. How do you answer it? Um, well, I've, not to digress every time you ask no, me No, no, it's but, good to d- um, digress. Because I've, I've got a friend called Gary who was, a, who, who was a, when I met him, he was a kind of punk rocker, top, you know, national standard mountain runner. And he was a builder. And I remember it took me a long time to discover that he was a builder. And when I found out, I was kind of really shocked. And I said, I didn't know that's, that's what you did. And he, and he said something like, um, when people ask me what I do, I say, well, I'm a runner. Because that's what everybody knows, knows me as. And I, you, know, I, if I, you know, you'd never go, oh, well, this is what I do. I, I lay bricks for a living. And I always think, yeah, that's, that's really good. And so when, when we had our our daughter, when our daughter was born and we had to fill in the birth certificate, me and me and my wife, she, she's down as, you know, occupation, uh, swimmer, and mine was occupation, fell runner. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Because that's, really that's good. what we are. That's what you are. So that's, that's so yeah. the way you see yourself today is as a, a fell runner. No, no, it's not now. Not anymore. What would you say it is today? Artist. Okay. And that's, that in itself is quite interesting because... I think it takes quite a lot for people to get to a point where they're happy to define themselves as an artist. It does. Would you have been able to do that? Or, or can you think back to a time when you wouldn't have been able to do that? I, bizarrely, I can remember the specific time where I decided to take it on, which is we, um, in the band, we played Reading Festival. And we, going in the van, going into the, into the um, whatever, the festival site, they give you stickers and things to put on the van and we had one that said artist and I, I stuck it on my guitar after we'd left Reading Festival and I thought yeah I'm not I'm not embarrassed anymore about saying I'm an artist you know because coming from kind of small town Burnley in Lancashire you don't go around saying if people say what do you do you don't go I'm an artist yeah <laughs> um so yeah it took a while and then eventually I just thought look this is what I do for a living I I write music I you know, that's, I, 
I am an artist. Get and, used to it. <laughs> and these days, you're you, you you. It seems like you go from project to project. So you've got a whole bunch of different projects that you're doing any one time. And today, it's writing, it's shows, it's the choir, uh, it's a whole bunch of things. But they yeah. they, they all fall under the banner of creativity. Don't yeah, they? yeah. If we go right back in time, so the 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 main reason why I know of you is because of Chumbawamba and that damn song. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Which uh, which I actually. I, I can remember many evenings where that song punctuated the evening, not not in a bad way, incidentally. So it's not a damn song, but I thought it might be to you, and um, we'll explore that in a minute. <coughs> but um, but yeah, I know you. I know you as um, you know the the guitarist from Chumbawamba. And um, but what I didn't realise after I read up a bit more about your story and your history is that it seemed like that band was around for a long, long time before I would have known about it. Let's try and go right back. Let's go point, back to your childhood. At what point did it get? <laughs> at what point did you start to notice? Were you, were you always unconventional? You know, or did you did, were you were you deliberately going against the grain? Do you remember like how how did that start to come about that you were starting to take a path that others weren't? Um, that's interesting. I don't know when I kind of probably I don't know when I realised, but it was while I was still at school. Was it? Yeah, and and I think because I kind of realised that I was hanging around with the the weird kids. Um, yeah, because you try desperately to fit in, don't you, when you're at school? And then it got to a point where, where you get, it gets to a point where you're old enough to, um, to think uh, it's cool to be different and that you're allowed to be different without people, you know, hitting you in the <laughs> face or whatever. <laughs> and so by the time I was probably maybe 14, because I was brought up in a Mormon family. Oh, were you? Interesting. Yeah. We, um, which is kind of rel a relatively strict religion. So by the time I was maybe 14 or 15, I was, um, I was already looking for a way out of that because it just wasn't doing it for me at all. And, um, and that's not to, to denigrate my family, who are fantastic, and they're all still Mormons, mm. like... like Millions of them all over Lancashire there's the, and Yorkshire, and um, and we really get on and everything. But I just knew I had to to get out. There's a thing. There's a thing which is that um, when you're 18, you go on a mission if you're a, a boy in in the Mormon Church. So you you put on a suit and go to a different country <coughs> for two years, knocking on doors and that sort of thing. And you have to try and convert a certain, certain number of yeah. people, don't you? Yeah, and even at a young age, I could see that looming, and and I was thinking, um, I don't want to do that. I, that that just it filled me with dread. The idea of it. And why did it fill you with dread? Probably because I didn't believe in God, for one thing, <laughs> quite a basic thing. But um, but also I just didn't. I you know I was by then I was getting into music and art and and just loving. Uh, Other stuff, culture, yeah, yeah. And, and really, and then so and so. What saved me in a way was was punk rock, yeah. And I literally had a a kind of um, um, what you know, a road to Damascus moment by seeing Sex Pistols on TV on a program called So It Goes, and it was their first appearance on TV. And it's Tony Wilson, you know, who went on to do Factory Records and everything. He was the host of this pop program. And I was really into music by then. I'd started reading the enemy and 
buying records, obsessed by the Beatles. And, and this all that. is still around the age of 14, 15, yeah, something like that. 14, 15, mm-hmm. I was started buying, you know, all my own records and things with my paper round. And then Sex Pistols were on telly. And, and it wasn't that I thought they were the best thing I'd ever seen. It was just the weirdest thing I'd ever seen. Mm. I didn't understand it at all. And I, re- I, s- I remember going to school the following day and the people who I'd started hanging around with, we were all going, did you see that band on telly last night? And we were all like, yeah, what was it? They were amazing. But we didn't, you know, we weren't going, they were brilliant. But yeah. We were just going, what was it? What, so, what were they doing? So it was, Could, it was more the differentness yeah it was like you'd seen that different was acceptable and it was so exciting yeah really it was you just thought that's something i've never seen before and it kind of imagined that's what it was like if people saw elvis in you know 1954 Mm. or whatever and so um and then literally within uh three four five months this kind of certain group of people at school all cut their hair and took the trousers in (laughs) <laughs> and it's and it was just like a rite of passage, and it didn't mean oh I'm a punk rocker now. It really what it meant was I w- I want to be different. Yeah, and this I'm going to embrace being different. Yeah, and there wasn't a uniform then. It wasn't like mohawks and leather jackets. There was none of that. It was if you're going to do this thing, then you've got to make your own version of it. Yeah, and just to segue <coughs> a second, I saw um I'm I'm glad that you've just reminded me because I saw a tweet of yours. And it said something along the lines of, um, my son bleached his hair. Oh, Do you yeah. remember this? Yeah. yeah. And my son bleached his hair and um, and then he got put in some kind of detention room for the whole day. Yeah. And he texted us to tell us. Yeah. So he went, and I think I remember the language you used. We busted him out. Yeah. <laughs> we, t- we took him to the skate park. Yeah. And I thought that, yeah. that, that, that seems like it says a lot and, and tells a lot about the way that you parent, the way that you think about the world, your yeah. journey. Yeah. Tell us, just take a second to tell us about that and the way you're thinking about education today and the way you think about it back in the day. And then we'll take you back to where you were. I'm going to go from there. Well, uh, yeah, it's funny because when you're a parent, you 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 suddenly realise it's not that you turn into your parents. It's more that you you're aware that that uh, you're telling your children to do things and hoping they'll do things and and wishing that they'll do things that you didn't do. Um, so so for instance, with things like. Uh, so I didn't drink till I was 29, 30. And it was brilliant for me not to drink till mm. I was 29. Obviously, I didn't drink because I was brought up in the Mormon church. But then when I got out of the Mormon church, I thought, that's a good thing. I like that because you could be focused and everything. And I could see all the people around me who started drinking and smoking dope, just getting getting slow and 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 drunk. And, and that energy, which was the kind of punk thing in in that town was kind of being dissipated by those things. And even as a sort of 16, 17 year old, I thought, I don't want that. And so, and it meant that I could keep that focus and do all the things I wanted to do. So obviously I want, I would want my, uh, my daughter who's now 21. I'd love it if she said, yeah, I'm, I'm not really into, you know, drinking and mm. doing that sort of thing. Um, cause I want to be focused and, and all that. But, um, but she's not, she likes, you know, having a drink and then hanging out with the mates like normal, <laughs> like normal twenty-one-year-olds <laughs> should do. So it's that thing all the time, that kind of dichotomy where I, I want Johnny to do his homework. He's you know at school, but at the same time, it doesn't really matter because you know I got away with not having any qualifications and and having a really good life. So if, I can't really lecture them on 
doing well, we're doing well in their A levels. And, and it's so. interesting. Well, so when you say I want Johnny to do his homework, what are you really saying? I'm saying I, I think what I'm really saying is I want you I want you to because. I like the idea of weirdness and strangeness and doing your own thing and, and, and all that sort of thing, but not if it's lazy. Yeah. Not if it's just an excuse to not do anything. It's like, oh, yeah, school's rubbish. I can't be arsed. As opposed to school's rubbish, instead I'm going to spend my time doing something really creative and interesting <coughs> that I really want to do and that's going to really kind of give me choices in my life, mm. all that sort of thing. So is it sort of uh, discipline, some form of discipline? Self-discipline. Self-discipline, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, so cause I'm... The other thing is that I kind of let... With, with, with our children, we, we've kind of let them do what they want. For a while, you fight that battle, which is which everyone who's a parent will know. You know, you, you tidy your room, uh, wash the dishes. Um, and then I read an article when Maisie was probably about you know, 10 or 11, and we were, you know, we were arguing about whether, she, you know, look, put your shoes in the right place and all this sort of thing, and uh, having big arguments. And I read this article, which was brilliant, in a, just in a magazine about child psychology, basically the, about teenagers' brains work in a completely mm. different way. They mm. need sleep mm. and in a different way, and they need... Don't try and just get them up early, just because you get up early. Don't try and get them to wear a coat because you're cold. You know, all these things. <laughs> it was like, let it go. Just have a really good relationship with them and let those things go. So for a while, I, I, I was struggling with it and then I, I got the hang of it and I just thought, do you know what? It's easier for me to wash up and feel happy washing up and that they are having a really good time in life and going out skateboarding rather than going, no, no, you've got to do the washing up mm. and having an argument. So discipline, I, I think it has to come from them. they They'll yeah, learn. I was, I'm glad you got onto that because, so again, I'm going to segue us out, but I, th I think it will be useful. I, I hope you've both seen it. There's this fantastic documentary uh, of Billie Eilish and her brother. Yeah. You've seen it? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really good. And Ray, if you haven't seen it, you've got to yeah. watch it, right? Um, mm. But it basically tells the story that they had, um, they were filming, making their first album in the bedroom, you know, and it's really, really bit, like way back before yeah. they, there was any, any story. And that's why it's so interesting. And um, and it's in, uh, I forget her brother's name, um, Phineas. Phineas's bedroom, because that's where they recorded the first album. <coughs> Just her and her brother. And they and the, because it's in the parents' house, the mum and dad are around. And so there's moments in this documentary where they the mum and dad come in and get involved in stuff. And yeah. what comes through is that the, the mum and dad decided to homeschool them early on. But, um, but there was a, a one really important rule. And the rule was that, um, if if you're making music, there's no there's no um, there's no bedtime. So you can if you're making music, you can do it as long as you want, and there's there's no rules about turning it off. Yeah. And they took and, and and that's the ten thousand hours. That's where the, the what you were saying about that that focus and that discipline. Yeah. What's so interesting for me about that is I think I mean they're they're innately talented for sure but they probably wouldn't have had the journey that they've had and, and yeah. a lot of the fun and a lot of the excitement that's come with it yeah. if they hadn't have been able to put the time and effort into it. Yeah. The reason they were able to put the time and effort into it is because of the guardrails that the parents gave them, which yeah. was, if you're doing that thing, you keep doing it. We're not going to put anything in to stop you. And that comes back to what you're saying of yeah. 
it was their choice to do that. The freedom. Yeah. That's the freedom. It's They've the been given the freedom. to do yeah. the thing they want to do and they go do it and look at what happens. And, and I suppose you, you have to be careful then that you're not giving them the freedom to to just take drugs and waste their life. Yeah. And that's always, that's the, that's the danger, isn't it? And that's what stops everybody. But then if you haven't got something else, that's... Yeah. Why you maybe end up with things that aren't good for you yeah. because you haven't got something yeah. that's good for you. Yeah. And, and so maybe the, the so then the secret is to, as a parent, is is to find that something else or yeah. or, or, or the other help, people help give them the freedom to find it themselves. Because yeah. 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 if if you sort of say right, okay, come on, you know, that you're going to be a chess. Oh yeah, star. yeah, yeah, it, definitely. It's can't not going to happen, that. is it? Yeah, but because yeah, what happened with Johnny was he started going through that thing of you know um, um, spending a lot of time you know on uh, what we went from Roblox to um, Fortnite, mine, mine, Minecraft to Fortnite. Yeah, and you could start seeing this thing where you think, ah, that's what young teenage boys do, and this they end up just kind of locking themselves in the bedrooms and and being grumpy, and you never get to talk to them. Um, so. So you'd say, right, you know, we're putting limits on how much you can... And that doesn't work. Just stopping somebody doing something doesn't work. What you do is you think, well, what else is there that's going on? And have a go at this, you know, have a go at that. And he discovered skateboarding himself. And then that solved all the problems. Mm-hmm. He comes home from school, he gets changed into his skateboarding shoes, and he goes out, and he can be out for like three or four hours. And it's what I did with football when I was yeah. when I was a kid. It's fantastic. It solved all those problems. So yeah. now if he goes on Fortnite, I think, great, have a good time on Fortnite. Because you then, know he's going to go skateboarding. Yeah, and he gets after, some balance. after an hour, he'll be like, right, okay, I want to go and mm-hmm. skateboard. That's really good. What about, let's go back to to where we were, the, the role of the other weird friends. Yeah. Because I think there's, there's, <laughs> there's something sm- in there's that. There's a smile on there? his there's, face. There's, <laughs> there's, there's something about you're not doing it on your own and also by you yeah. seeing the sex pistols there's you can see there's a path or there's these other people they're doing it as well so there starts to yeah. be more there's a, there's some momentum you know yeah. some gravity to this yeah yeah me and Kate, me and Casey Casey my wife in case anyone's listening to this thing I'm referring to the dog or something <laughs> um me and Casey had, had this thing for a while where we started to to realize that when you're going through life you that that people have have a huge effect on you without you really acknowledging it at the time, especially when you're young. So we decided that we would go back and visit some of these people just to, to actually quite formally sit down with them and say, thank you. Oh, that's great. Yeah, we did We did three or four, and then we kind of ran out of steam, but I've, I've started doing it again with, with this book I'm writing now. And um, it's such a lovely thing to do because... And the way it started is because... So when I was in Burnley, uh, one of the things that happened as a, as a kid was that word went round town that these freaks were having a big pom- party bonfire on the, the recreation ground near the football ground. And um, it was like, oh, hippies are doing a, they're doing a procession and they're having a bonfire. So we, well, let's go down and have a look. So we went down, it's, you know, about a mile and a half into town. As we got there, there was people everywhere. And apparently, I read afterwards there were something like ten thousand people 
saw it, this huge procession through Burnley, where there were this this theatre group, as you know, as we thought, just like hippies and freaks, were carrying these incredibly huge um, effigies uh, of, made from like paper and bamboo. Uh, one of them was the House of Parliament, huge, like probably half the size of this room, mm. on holding it up on poles and dancing through town and with with a band, everybody playing music. I wish. I don't remember hardly any of this, but I remember the, the Houses of Parliament. And then they get to the rec ground, the recreation ground, and a huge bonfire, and they put on the Houses of Parliament. And there's photographs of it. So there's the Houses of Parliament going up in flames. And, uh, and I, all I remember from it <coughs> was the spectacle of it and the idea of thinking, wow, that was fantastic. And it switched from, oh, them hippies, them weirdos, to being... Oh, that's cool. That that's, mm. that's a good thing. Didn't think anything else of it. Got into punk rock and all that. Lived the rest of my life. And then I find out this group were called uh, Welfare State International, and they were kind of seminal street theatre, you know, people in the day. I didn't know, and they spent some time in Burnley. Casey showed me this book that that she had about that had a thing about them, and they said, "Oh yeah, we spent some years in Burnley. I mean, we spent eighteen months in Burnley." But we saw it as a failure. It was a failure because the people didn't really kind of understand what we were trying to do and we felt really deflated. And so we we eventually moved. And I th at that point, I thought, I have to go and see these You've people. Got to yeah, 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 yeah. It you, wasn't a waste of time. Yeah. And so we did. We went up to... They've, they've got a kind of self... Two of the main protagonists in it, um, uh, Sue and, and John, live up near Carnforth in the, near Morecambe in a kind of self-built, weird, crazy house that's made from, you know, recycled materials and everything. And just sat down with them and, and said, thank you. And I just felt, phew, I've got that off my chest. And now I need to do it to lots of other people. And what was their reaction? They were just really lovely people. They were like, oh, that's so sweet that you came and said that. And that's really Because it would be, good. it yeah. would be lovely, wouldn't it? Yeah. To yeah, think that something that you thought was a failure, in fact, wasn't. Yeah. And to know that that we all have, like when you're saying about group of friends, that we all have people that that just do, just push you, mm. prod you in a certain direction. And, and and you've got to kind of be grateful, especially, you know, if they, can, they can also be prodding you in the wrong direction. But in my case, I just feel like I've got this series of people that, that that kind of changed what the way I thought about things. Mm. So we, I've got an old friend called Nadim. Nadim Carney was in Burnley at the time, and uh, we started our first kind of punk band together, and uh, with four or five other people. And um, Nadim was all, he, he was the weirdest of us. He was strange because he was from he was Pakistani, which in Burnley was an absolute rarity back then. I think there were three three Asian lads in our school of like 2,000 people or whatever. Uh, and um, he got into punk and he taught me about racism without me even, you know, I was taught, I was a racist, I was homophobic just because I was, you know, a typical white northern working class lad. Mm. In the 70s? In the 70s. Yeah. And... Um, when that sort of thing was just totally normal. And uh, we'd go to it, we went to see the Stranglers in Blackburn. And 
a big group of punks from Blackburn wanted to fight Nadim because he was, he was black, because he wasn't white. And so we had to stick up for him. And it was like, oh, this is really weird. I'm suddenly learning that my kind of innate, you know, the way I took the piss out of him for being Pakistani is not, that's not a good thing. Mm. I'm an idiot. And then Rock Against Racism started and I kind of thought, oh, okay, I better start thinking about this kind of thing. So he, he had that effect with that. And also he was really funny and really weird. And so how could I not... Embrace it. Yeah, yeah. how could I... He, he was, it's like, oh, well, if this is what people from Pakistan are like, then great, give me more <laughs> of them. <laughs> when, when does, um, when, d- so you're talking about the weirdness and, and, you know, you found your tribe and you've embraced weird. I know I'm using, I'm, I'm doing air quotes because yeah, I'm yeah. shortcutting the language a bit. The world would have tried to pull you back a number of times. So the obvious one is you leave school and then you go get a proper job. Yeah. And my understanding is that somewhere relatively close to this part this period you ended up in squats and you were and you started to put your energy towards bands and, yeah. and being an artist right I don't know you did, you might not have described it like that at the time but it mm. sounds like that's that's where you were at do you remember tension of being pulled back in and how were you resisting it well there was tension from my from my family because because they were Mormons and they they and I was I was kind of just quite quickly moving away from it, and um, and did 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 they understand? How early on did they understand that? It, that was weird. That you were weird, <laughs> yeah, God. Or, or put, maybe maybe put another way, how close were they in the uh, in the same kind of principle of psychology of what we were talking about of Billie Eilish's parents? Was, was there any element of that in them? No, there wasn't. But at the same time, there wasn't any... Uh, I don't know if you've read Jeanette Winterson's um, Oranges Are Not the Only Fruit and, and her autobiography. She she was brought up in Accrington, which is really close to, to Burnley. And she was brought up by an evangelical single mother. And they they kind of tortured her. They, they brought in c- the congregation from church who all kind of locked her in the house and, and performed... You know, um, rituals around her, yeah, to stop her being, you know, she was clearly, you know, she was fancying other girls. And so they had to literally wanted to beat that out of her. And so I've read her thing and I've thought, oh, well, my story is exactly the same as hers, except to the point where my my family were kind of like, well, if you're not, you know, if you're not coming to church anymore, then our our reaction to that is we just won't. We would don't talk about it. Let's just let it go, and we'll carry on as as normal as if nothing's happened. And that was probably always our our family's way of dealing with things, um, which was great, which was brilliant. So there's no no confrontation. No, no. We did have a few confrontations early on, but they weren't about the church. They were about. I remember there's two 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 conversations my dad had with me. You know where those things where your parents sit you down and go, right, we need to have a talk. <laughs> Well, I've, I think I've only ever had two of those with my, my dad. One of them was, um, we've noticed that, um, you know, since you went out with that such and such a girl, you know, like Jane from whatever, Briarfield, that you haven't had a girlfriend for a while. And, um, and, my, dad, and my dad's really embarrassed about this now. So I said, uh, so I just want to ask, are you, you know, one of them? 
<laughs> and he did the kind of, you know, the hand movement. And uh, I was like, no, no. But, I, you, know, I, you know, even if I was, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. You know, it doesn't matter. And he was like, okay, I'm just, you know, just checking. Yeah. Kind of thing. <laughs> and uh, he's not like that now. He's yeah. brilliant, you know. And, uh, and the other one was, um, okay, so you've dropped out of, of college. Because I went to art college in Maidstone. And I lasted three months and dropped out. And he said, um, so what are you going to do with your life? And I said, well, I'm going to be an artist. I'm going to be, be a musician. And he said, but, y you know, you don't even play an instrument. You're gonna, you know, you, um, you can't say that. And you can't just keep dropping out of things. And I remember my reply was, well, John Lennon dropped out of college. And he did it all right. Yeah. <laughs> and he said, my dad said, but you're not John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, yeah, fair point. <laughs> I almost said this earlier when you were talking about your son and the like the let it let it be and the fact that, you know, we know let it be as as that's as the Beatles song, right? And yeah. It, it, but it's interesting that you're talking about y your parents and that ethos. It was let it be. Yeah. And they were comfortable enough that they yeah. they could sort of just stand by that and not, not get too close. And, and I presume yeah. that's why why you, you've got a strong relationship with them now, because they did that and they didn't take the confrontation route. Yeah. And I've, I've said, to, I've, uh, I had a conversation with them recently where I said, because um, what happened is that me and Nadim uh, were the two people in our kind of little circle in our band that were really into art. And he wanted to go to art college. We both left school when we were 17 because we were for various reasons. But um, I went to do a foundation course in art at Burnley Tech College. And he really wanted to do it and his parents wouldn't let him. So they forced him to work in their family shoe shop. So he just <coughs> spent his days selling shoes in this, you know, tiny shoe shop on the edge of town. And... Um, so I said to my mum recently, my mum and dad recently, I said, why did you let me just not go to like proper college and just decide I was going to be, you know, <laughs> a waster mm. by going to, you know, do fine <coughs> art at college? And they said, well, it was just what you really wanted to do. And we just thought, you know, we, you know, if he really wants to do it, then we should let him. And I said, do you realise how, how liberal that was probably at the time? I said, because everybody else I knew, even the people who were starting bands, they all got apprenticeships at mm. engineering firms and things like <coughs> that. And I said, you, you were quite happy for me to go to art college. And they were just like, yeah, just never thought about it. Just thought, well, that's what you really want to do. That's, that's what he'll do. And I think, well, that's fantastic. Mm, it is. And there's a, there is a thank you in there. It sounds like you thanked them. And what, what, what happened to yeah. Nadim? Did um, he stay at the shoe shop? Well, he's, he's, I mean, his story's fantastic. We, me and Johnny went to visit him. He's, he lives in Florida now. He, he spends his time collecting old, uh, knackered old classic American cars from like, you know, like 1956 Cadillacs and stuff as rust heaps and then building them back to their absolute glory. He's got 21. So he's got two warehouses. Oh, full wow. of, some of them are just like rust, rusty bits of wheels and stuff. And some of them are just these glorious open topped, you know, Buicks and... And there probably isn't any such thing as an open-top Buick. So. <laughs> um, we don't know that. <laughs> but he, yeah, his family ran this shoe shop. And then one day, uh, Nadim said to us, we had a band and everything. He said, uh, I've got to tell you this. I'm not meant to tell anyone, but we're, we're moving away. All the family are moving to America in two weeks. And we, my dad just told us last night. And we were like, what? 
you're going to America? That was unheard of. Yeah. He said, yeah. And we were saying, why? And he said, I don't know. I've just been told that we have to move. And they had a nice house in Burnley and everything. They off, off they went to America. And, of course, that's pre-internet days. Mm. So we just didn't... Went and visited him once, but really it was kind of lost communication with him. And um, his family then ended up having a... They had a souvenir shop in Orlando and then got two or three souvenir shops and then became quite quite wealthy. And then his parents died. He took over the the souvenir shops and then just ditched it all and said, right, I don't want to do this anymore and started, you know, looking after cars instead. He'd been in a series of really weird bands. But um, so this time I was like, come on, tell us what happened. What was it to do with your, your dad and m- moving you over? I said, was it something to do with drugs? And he said, okay, I'll tell you the truth. He said, I didn't know at the time. I've only found out recently and I've looked it up on the internet and then I found the newspaper articles and it was all about smuggling <coughs> cocaine. Wow. And he wasn't smuggling it, but he was... The, the the shoe shop was possibly some kind of fence for it or something. And Nadim said he's, he's, he's happy with knowing this now. But his mum didn't know anything about it. She claims not to have known anything about it. But it carried on in the States somehow. So I was like, wow, what a brilliant story. That's fantastic. <laughs> so we've got to go to Florida, Ray, and go meet Nadim. <coughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, going back to... So, yeah... We're not we're not supposed to talk about what is it money religion and sex, but they're three of the most interesting topics. Yeah, and yeah, if we go back to that time where your your parents are letting it be, and you are going, I'm going to be John Lennon because you know he did all right. A lot of people at that stage of life would also be scared because they'd yeah. be thinking, I've got to go and start making my way. Yeah, and I've got to find some money somewhere. Yeah, where. Ha- Tell us that about like what, what was it like for you then, and how were you thinking about that? There was a little time when, because I, I dropped out of college and then I became a postman for a while, and then because my granddad was a postman, and I always thought that's a noble thing to do, mm. and it's and, and you're out in the world and everything, and uh, and then I hadn't been there so long. I had only been there like two or three months when the uh, the uh, foreman of the the shop floor foreman came up and said. Um, we think that um, you're probably intelligent enough or clever enough not to be just delivering the letters. And so we, we're thinking of putting you in the, the dead letter section for a year and you're working there for a year, opening letters that are that are badly addressed and trying to find where to... And he said, you know, we need someone with a bit of bit of nous to be able to do that. And we think you could do that. And then if you do well at that, then you can move up a grade. To, and I could see this... <coughs> life plan yeah. in the post in a room full of letters and i thought no I'm getting out and i didn't know how to get out and then my friend uh midge and dan they said you can apply for clearing to uh, like a university or whatever um i don't and i presume you can still do it i don't know like a last minute thing where you suddenly find the places where they've got spaces so i got onto a course at leeds university doing english and history of art and I, I, I did the year, but I really, by about Christmas, I thought, no, I can't do this. So I did the year and then left, and I thought, I can't do it. But by then, we. so then there was this period of, right, what am I going to do? I can't get a grant anymore. And, you know, if you, you can just go on the dole, and then what do you do? What do you do with your life? And we'd started a band, and then we met these 
older people who had a, a big squat in Leeds who told us about squatting and about how you can do that. And they also said, do you want to come in with us? This is all in the spirit of about six months. Do you want to come in with us? Um, we're gonna. We're thinking of buying a, a bus and tour, touring around Europe and going busking uh, to make money. And we thought, that sounds like an adventure. Let's do that. <laughs> and we'd already been to Paris once busking. We had spent a summer in Paris at the Pompidou Centre, the big square, mm. singing... Just three of us singing um, undertones and clash songs, and, and a couple that we'd we'd written as well, and, and and loving it, and thinking this is this is a great. But we thought we can't do that for a living all your life. So, but then we yeah we went round Europe in a bus, busking, and then the start of this kind of itinerant life of you live in a squat, you're not paying rent. Um, you, you, we knew we could get part time jobs, so we all got part-time jobs and then some people from Burnley that we knew and Alice and Lou and and we met Dunstan and and they were like well we're like we've got this huge house it's got eight bedrooms so you, if you want to come and move in and you don't have to pay rent so they move in and we're like can you can you play an instrument uh no not really well can you sing no not really well do you want to have a go all right I'll have a go <laughs> and that's how we put the band together that's why we had Three singers who couldn't really sing very well. It was like, well, they can't do anything else, so let's do this kind of shouty, singy thing. Um, which was great. It's the best way to start a band. It's just like... And we all lived in this house, and, and, and it, was, it was kind of, you know, male and female, which at that young age, at the kind of age of sort of 19, is really important. Because especially in rock and roll, you can get stuck in all-male mm. boy energy which we saw again and again and again, obviously, on tour. Mm. We always had had females that were really strong as part of it that, um, that kind of dictated the, the pattern of what we did. Mm. And that was really important. Um, and that, that, may, that kind of made us grow up. So it sounds like you were, you'd found a way to live where you were living either outside of the system or on the edge of the system and it from the way you're describing it and mm. the obviously you you're energized in the way that you're talking about it. yeah it sounds like it was a hell of, hell of a lot of fun and you you're going yeah. this is great yeah do you think that you were you you were thinking well, why do we do it the other way yeah and do, do you think the the anarchy started did, did it start to manifest from that yeah yes it kind of did i um because I started reading, I was reading a lot then. When I dropped out of college the first time, I kind of thought, right, I don't just want to be, you know, lazing around. I'm going to... So, for instance, at school, I hated Shakespeare. Hated studying Shakespeare. But I remember when we got on the bus that was going to go around Europe with, you know, busking and trying to, you know, fruit picking, things like that we did. Um... I decided I'm going to read the complete works of Shakespeare. So I bought the complete works of Shakespeare. It's a huge slab of a book. And by about the, you know, lit literally within about 20, 30 pages, I thought, this is great. I'd, I'd learnt how to read a play, which I never learnt at school. I always just thought, this is just gobbledygook. I don't understand the word of it. It makes no sense. But when I was doing it for myself, 
I thought, this is brilliant. And I read the whole thing. And then I, and I saw I was that kind of person that thought, right, I'm going to read, you know, um, you know, uh, Catching the Rye and On the Road and, and you know, Solzhenitsyn. And I'm going to read all the books that you're meant to have read, all the classics. And I went to the library and just played my way through them. And um, Jeanette Winston, she used to say, if you want to be a writer, then don't spend your time writing, spend your time reading. Yeah. Which I think is great, because you're basically going, I want all these inspirations in my head, and I want, I want the, all this lovely culture that's, that's around, I want to take it all in. And I think that if you, if you don't have that attitude, you can end, you know, if you just... Um, well, it's hard to talk about this without it sounding like being snobby and being... Um, the word you know like privilege yeah and as if you've been sneering about about other people who, who don't mm. want to read Shakespeare and I don't think that at all I just think for me it was what I needed to avoid getting worried about not doing not having a normal oh, I job see. yeah okay so so it was almost like you felt like you were doing the work I, asked, I thought I've got to justify myself yeah yeah. Okay. Okay. yeah but actually what you were doing is you'd made I could probably not consciously but you'd made enough space that you could find that stuff for the right reasons. Yeah, yeah. And and, realize, and obviously from reading, reading political stuff and reading like stuff, you know, about anarchism, uh, about the ideas of anarchism, which is that as a basic tenet, don't let other people tell you what to do mm. and don't tell other people what to do. And that's the way I kind of approached everything. And collaboration was always a massive thing. It was never me thinking, oh, I can do this, you know, so I'm not going to get, a, you know, I'm not going to work at the post office. I'm just going to do my own thing. It was like, no, find other people that you can do it with. Mm. Other people who share, and it doesn't have to be people in a band. It can be, it, for me, it didn't have to be people in a band. Just people who you thought, well, they're doing interesting things. I want to be it's part a sh of that. shared set of values. Yeah, and finding those people. Even, yeah. even in Otley, you know, we've, kind of set up this little art studio space and invited people to come and do things and you you you've, you start to discover the the people who are doing interesting things and that you want to your tribe yeah yeah and that's as soon as you're not doing something on your own then it's it's so much easier yeah did you um so you at this stage you're living in the squat you're living on the edge of the system let's let's describe it as that yeah and the band is starting to become a thing yeah. Starting to put more in time. But, in but you but you can't sing or play an instrument, right? Well by then I'd I'd learnt to play guitar <laughs> right, okay. enough to be able to to write songs. Okay, so how long have you been playing for? I don't know, two years. Oh, okay. Maybe. Something uh, like that. Were you again it might be hard to remember this, but as much as you can remember, were you convinced that you would figure out a way to make it all work? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us more about where did that come from? I don't know. Because <laughs> I, I, in fact, no, maybe it comes from, like, so my, my mum is very, um, she's, uh, I'll give you an example. When I, if I ring home, I ring Burnley, I'll talk to my dad. How are you doing? Blah, blah. Chat, 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 chat. How's, how's mum? Yeah, she's fine. Shall I put her on the phone? Yeah. 
how are you doing, Mum? Yeah, she's fine. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. She tells me, yeah, everything's fine, you know, and Auntie Edith's done this and Auntie Mona's done that, whatever. And then, and then my dad comes back on. He goes, oh, did she tell you about her accident? And I said, no, what accident? He said, oh, yeah, she, she fell yesterday and she ended up in A&E and she's got two broken wrists. <laughs> so I said, put her back on. <laughs> I said, Mum, I said, How's, how are you doing? Is, is, you know, is anything going on? And you said, no. But I've just heard you've been in hospital with two broken wrists. She's like, oh, yeah, I know, but it's, it's all right, it's fine. I said, so are yeah, they, like, bandaged up and in, like, casts? And like, she said, yeah, but it's fine, you know, I can still do right. I was like, why wouldn't you tell me that? And she, and that's what she's like. She's, my dad, he's, he's, he's doing really well now, but he had a, a really bad cancer, and he, was, he, he almost went. He, he had the last rites and all that sort of thing. <coughs> So he almost went, and when he did, me and my mum had a conversation. I was going, so what's, what, what are we going to do, you know, in the event of, of Dad not making it? And she's, she's like, well, we'll just kind of get on with things. And I'm like, yeah, but are you thinking about what, you know, how, you know, how, where are you going to live and who's going to, you know, look after things? And no, it'll be fine. We'll just, we'll just, we just got to have that attitude, haven't we? We've just got to get, get on with it. And I thought, oh, that's brilliant. And I kind of thought that's the best thing you can hand down to your kids. And so you think that... So she, maybe I got you, that. You, you'd taken that from your mum. You'd yeah. to adopt that principle. So, yeah. So it, it's an absence, a certain absence of worrying. Yeah. It's that it will be all right. Yeah, probably, yeah. And also that things aren't worth worrying about. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of things that people really were... You know, this we had... We've got... Um, I won't mention the names, but we've got friends who who their their son committed suicide because he had, because he was at college or something and he built up gambling debts of like ten thousand pounds, and you think ten thousand pounds for for a life that's yeah, yeah, just yeah. not that's just outrageous. Mm. But but we, we to some extent we all do it. We, yeah, we catastrophize. Yeah, um, but you're absolutely right. It, it, I mean, mm. yeah. I mean, yeah. during, like when you were talking about, like when we, we, were, we were squatting and we'd start in a band and we'd, people were coming to live in this shared house and everything. And, it's, and it sounds like it was just great. It was all big fun and, and adventure and everything. But within that, people still had their own problems, mm. you know, in terms of, uh, especially problems with, to do with uh, childhood traumas and all that. Because I didn't know about that sort of thing. But yeah. suddenly I was living <coughs> with people who were, dealing with things who were getting really depressed mm. and and really upset about things and i was i was thinking wow this i don't have that kind of thing i'm not carrying any of this this baggage around despite the fact that i had a you know a, a violent alcoholic dad who beat me mum up and and then she brought us up on our you know me and my sister on her own for a while and and i had to escape from a, a fundamentalist religion but I just think, yeah, but I'm completely unscathed. <laughs> Is that luck? I don't know. Is that luck? Or, or, or were you? What, unscathed? Yeah. Because I, I, I don't know. I just feel like people have a lot to deal with. A lot of yeah. shit goes on in people's lives and it affects everything they do. You know, they, they're not just worrying about a gambling debt or about whether they can pay the mortgage. They're actually worrying because of some childhood mm -hmm. thing where they've been taught to worry they've, or they've been shown that just they've been hurt and made to feel some kind of pain that comes back 
and makes them think, right, I need to do this certain thing to, to avoid that pain. And I haven't got any of that. So do you, do you think your your mum's attitude was much more of a, um, I will survive? I, you know, I, it, you know, I've I've survived before. Um, yeah, and, I, and I'll and I'll Maybe. survive again. You know, I'm, I'm going to keep surviving. Yeah, could be because her attitude with with when she when she left me dad uh, was right. We don't have anything to do with him anymore, and. And the joke, the con- 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 continuing joke, is that there are no photographs of me, real dad, anywhere at all. The the one photograph we had, which I'm sure is still around somewhere, was their wedding day photograph, my mum and, and me original dad. And she cut it in half, and his hand was on the photograph holding her hand, but he's cut out the picture, which I think is fantastic. I just think... Brilliant. She thought we're going to get through this by getting that man out of our lives, and you don't see him. You don't go through any of that. Oh, I want to see. I want to see me. I really want to connect with my real dad. All that sort of thing, which so many people have to deal with. She was like, "No, we don't do that. He's gone. Mm. That was it." So, so there wasn't that. Um, I should. That that wasn't a possibility. Oh no, there it was, was just was, you don't do yeah. that. Yeah. So just to be clear, I think I've. I've understood this but so the dad that you're talking about is not your biological dad yeah the dad that i've got now yeah yeah he's not my biological dad and he's brilliant he's fantastic mm. but my original dad who yeah i never knew him wow so, know, so you see vague memories but i'm a guessing well your mum wasn't a mormon then she became a mormon yeah she became a mormon when after she she'd met, left him when she met your dad yeah yeah of course you have right. two 18-year-old Americans knocking at the door, really, yeah. you know, clean-cut, you know, <coughs> healthy living, and they're the kind of opposite of this yeah. ex-Merchant Navy Oh, that's drunk. what he... That's, so. he, he came round... He's American. No, no, they, so oh, I'm saying no, they're, they're the missionaries. Yeah. Yeah, American. okay. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, I think okay. it's... So it's, I think it's quite a common pattern, actually. My my mum... Uh, my mum and dad are from very different worlds. Dad, yeah. very sort of... Um, sort of working class but um the family went to church they were very normal yeah my mum all sorts of um trouble and it was sort of the opposites attract but um when she had my sister who's a little bit older than me she proactively she she had this conversation with my dad um i'm going to go find a church because i don't know how to bring up a child wow and it so consciously went and found a church to so that she would have that around her and i think ready-made community exactly and i think i think people i think i think it's one of those moments Mm. where church makes sense i think i might have even read that statistic since um so it's no surprise right and then yeah what the what the church represents and what the religion represents is something very different yeah to maybe what we would see having experienced it in a different way which is actually it's about does god exist it's kind of like that wasn't the point for a lot of other people yeah absolutely and it and it and it, it was, it was a brilliant community. Mm. It was a thing of, um, you know, yeah, it's a family. Stability. It's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Let's, let's Which is what communities bring generally, isn't it? Some, yeah. some form of um, known. Yeah. Um, and it's lovely. And, you know, and during the, the pandemic, one of the things that everybody talks about, and it certainly happened on this street, is that there suddenly was a, a WhatsApp group. Mm. Mm. And it, it was it was all about who's going to the shop, can you get this for the you know, and the older elderly people couldn't wouldn't 
go out. So people were getting stuff for them and, oh, I've got this if anybody wants this. And, you know, and this whole thing grew and it's still there now. And that was brilliant. It was like, yeah, let's let's remind ourselves that we can actually act as a community just by having just by living next to yeah. each other. Yeah, more of that. Mm. Let's fast forward a little bit from where we were. So we, we were in the squat. You've done your tour on the bus and you're convinced that you're going to make it somehow and music starting to become a thing. And then you eventually get signed. So eventually you get to a point where it starts to become increasingly real. Did that... Tell us about that. How did that feel? Was that, did you expect it? Was it, was it, did it feel normal? Did it feel weird? Yeah, it felt weird. Yeah, we, we the, the first, because we, we started making our own, you know, we went in a, a little tiny studio and made a, a demo, cassettes of demos and sold them at gigs and they started selling more and more, like mail order, sending them out and we were like, oh, this is really good. Let's do a single. Um, we haven't got a record label or anything. Let's just do our own. Uh, because we were from that age when, you know, when Buscox just decided to put a single out and that was so inspiring mm. rather than going capping on to a big record company and with demo tapes. Um, so we made our own thing, went to a studio, we got it um, pressed and everything and went to a distributor and said, we went with the attitude and we talked about this on the way there. We went with the attitude of here's a record that we've made would we would love it if you could distribute it. That would be brilliant. But if you, in our heads, we were going, but if you don't, we don't care because we're going to do it. Because we're going to do it ourselves. So we said, so let's not be all groveling and begging. Mm. Let's mm. just go in. And so we went in and they put it on a record deck and li- they'll sit around listening to it, which is really weird. And they listened to it and went, that's great. That's brilliant. We want to we wanna distribute it. So we were like, wow, that was easy. <laughs> <laughs> and um but of course, we you know worked like mad for years to to get to that point of a single, and then that single, we sent it out to you know the music papers and stuff, and John Peel played it. Wow! And that when people you know when we were like in America and Japan after tub thumping and people going oh what you know what's it like to have success and all that sort of thing, and I always thought the feeling I got when 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 we heard it on the John Peel show. Having listened to that show since I was maybe sort of fifteen, um, was better than anything. Yeah. That, that that was, that was the, the point ha- where you thought, "Now uh-huh. that is brilliant," because it's not just about selling lots of records; it's vindication from yeah. someone who you respect. Yeah. So that was that lovely. that that so was that the highest high? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to talk about in hindsight, but. It, it, I just remember it feeling really thrilled that we were part of John Peel's world yeah, yeah. because that world meant so much. It was it was where I learned so much about about stuff as a kid. You know, listening to a transistor and here's David Bowie's you know new single or whatever, and just the excitement of it. And then and then he kept playing it. He played it week after week after week, and that was like, oh, okay, this is this is great. Yeah, I can. That must be incredible. Yeah, and then. You went on a bit of a journey from that point and um, somewhere you, you then made the decision to sign or, or, or got offered to sign, e- was it EMI? Yeah. And my understanding is you made this transition from being clearly more of a um, anarchist punk band yeah. to something more poppy and more in the system. Yeah. 
when and how did that come about? Well, musically, it was nothing to do with, with that. We, we just, we always tried out different kinds of music that, that we loved. So uh, after we made two albums that were quite kind of eclectic, punky stuff, we had a meeting where we said, let's do something completely different. What about if we did an album of a cappella English <laughs> folk songs, which our audience, you know, it just doesn't deal in that kind of thing. And so we did that. And we really loved it. And so then after that, we were like, right, every, at least every two records, we have to completely change direction. And all the time, even when we got into like dance music and all that sort of thing. Sorry, I've got a cat on me lap now. Um, it's a very lovely cat. We still, we always loved pop music and harmonies because we realised that, that a few people in the band could harmonise with each other. And it's such a thrill to sing harmonies with with someone, even just, you know, in a warming up in a dressing room. And so that was always part of what we did. So musically we didn't change for the tub thumping stuff. But um what happened is we were on a label called One Little Indian, who were a brilliant label and, and uh Derek Burkett, who was the head of the label, he used to be in a punk band that we played with. So we knew him. And so we'd put out a couple of records with them and then eventually they were they were trying to sell the label to an American distributor. Um, sorry if this is like another digression. But um, so they said, well, what's, what are you doing next? What's, what's the next album you're doing? And we said, well, we're recording it now. And they said, well, can we listen to like some tracks off it so that we can play it to the American distributors? And that's part of the package that they're trying to s- s- buy. Yeah. They had like Bjork and the Shaman and people like that. We were just like lowly mm-hmm. down the bottom fourth division for one little indian and we said well no because we don't play demo tapes to record labels we just say here's the finished thing and they said well in this instance we really want to kind of convince the american blah blah is it possible that you could send us like two or three tracks from it and so we said okay yeah but you know we don't usually do that sort of thing because i used to love the fall we were really big fans of the fall mark smith i remember reading an interview with him in the early 80s saying they never do that. We're not playing anything. The record company has to either have what we, we give them or not have it at all. So we always had that attitude. We're like, yeah, we like the fall. And um, so we sent them three tracks, I think it was. Uh, one of the first one, which was, was Tub Thumping. And um, Derek sent us a letter back saying, yeah, kind of liking it, but it, the songs don't seem very strong. Uh, we're wondering whether we could get some outside producers in to help with this one, which to us was like a big slap in the face. <coughs> so we probably immediately had a meeting about the letter and said, "Forget it, then we don't we don't want to we don't want to do it." And we said, "Well, we're thinking of you know not you know just leaving the label." And Derek was like, "Well, that's fine. That's you know great." <laughs> um, and. Uh, so we were like, well, we've got a finished album. What are we going to do with it? And there's two two things happened. So it definitely wasn't a plan. We want to try and make an album that we can sell to a major label. N- never. But but Jonathan King heard a demo of the song of Tub Thumping. Jonathan King, who very soon after ended up in prison, um, and he touted it around people saying, This is this is a gonna be a you know a big hit. And it ended up on 
Germany EMI's uh, desk and they got in touch with English EMI and said, we've heard this thing from a, a band that's English and it sounds really good. Um, do you want to put it out? And, and London EMI said, no, we wouldn't touch them with a barge pole. Uh, they're anarchists. And, <laughs> and so Germany EMI got in touch with us and said, we want to put it out in Germany. And we said, uh, let's have a discussion about it. And then started probably three or four weeks of intense meetings, house meetings and band meetings about whether we should do it or not. And the, uh, it was really good fun, actually. Really quite intense, but really good fun because normally what happens is that people go, ah, you know, you know, sell out bastards and all that sort of thing. But people who are proper DIY, you know, anarchist, everything DIY, never get the chance to sell out because no one ever comes along <laughs> and goes. <laughs> so it's easy to go, ah, oh, we're independent. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, but you've got no choice, yeah. which was us up until that point. And so we thought, oh, this is really interesting. What, what, sh what should we do? And one of the things was that we were kind of getting bored with the, the strict parameters of, of DIY culture. Everything, you know, is, was all about rules. And, and we had lots of, obviously lots of really good friends who were, who were stuck to that. And then we carried well, what, on. When you say rules, what, what do you mean? Well, like, um, you know, not talking to certain magazines um, right, okay. yeah not never dealing with with big record companies um, being against uh, advertising um, having shows only doing all ages shows which in America is a really big deal because because um, the alcohol laws are different so you if you don't if you do a not an all ages show then you're excluding loads of people mm -hmm. so you've got to do an all ages show and um and everything being, uh, uh, all the concert tours being organised by independent tour organisations rather than these people who do it for, you know, big bands. And uh, you don't stay in hotels or have sleeper buses or anything like that. All these kind of things that you, you just don't do. So even there were, there were bands that we loved and that we played with. There's a band called Fagazi from Washington, D.C. who were an incredible band. And I, you know, I absolutely love them. And they were still kind of travelling around and sleeping on people's floors while they were selling 200,000 records. And they were still going around in little, you know, minibuses and, and transit vans, which seemed mad <coughs> to us. We were thinking, as, as kind of working class people from Burnley, we were like, if you get the chance to have a sleeper bus, <laughs> why would you have it? So we played a gig. Round about that time. So the, the, these rules were born, I, I imagine, originally out of necessity because there was yeah. no, there was no option. And then they yeah. became rules that they're just rules, yeah. even though they're not out of necessity. And, there's, and, and yeah. also, it's fantastic because the whole point of anarchy is there aren't any rules. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you're sort yeah, of creating these artificial rules, yeah. but but it, it comes from a good place. It absolutely you, does. Yeah. yeah. So like, there's a there's a punk club in Leeds called uh, Boom, and. It's, you know, it's like what you would imagine. It's in an old mill or factory and it's all painted black uh, inside and, and it's, you know, sweaty and sticky floors and all that sort of thing. But the energy there is fantastic. It's all people kind of doing it on a quite low-scale, independent level. Brilliant. And, it's, and I love going there because cause it's not <coughs> Leeds Arena. Mm. 
it's not going to see Noel Gallagher's band with 10,000 other people. It's, it's fantastic. And so, and I love all that. But at the same time, when we were having these conversations, we were like, yeah, but wouldn't it be interesting to try and do this, this other thing and see what we can do with it? And um, they were offering us, I think they were offering us £100,000, which was, you know, for like three or four albums or whatever it is, and um, which was an incredible amount of money for us at that time. But by then, we were on sleeper buses. I remember we played a gig at Leeds University. We, we were used to get audience of about five or 600, maybe, maybe a bit more. And we played at Leeds University. And all my mates from the running club, from Pudsey and Bramley Running Club, who I'd been with for four or five years by then, they all came along. They're all, you know, working, you know, working class, you know, they work in garages and, and builders and stuff like that. Fell runners, though really strong fell runners they came to the gig and our sleeper bus was outside and somebody from this lad called steve who we knew this punk rocker from leeds he was like what, what the you know bloody hell are you doing what's that i you know well <coughs> you know you, th you know you think you're something now and all that sort of thing <laughs> my mates from the running club came and went oh can we look inside your bus and we're like yeah <laughs> so i was like showed him inside where there's all these bunks like, this is fantastic. That's brilliant, Bob. You've really made it. That's great. You know, they were so excited. And I thought, yeah, I'm with them. I'm with them. I'm not with the, oh, you're not allowed to do that. So, so I'm, I'm struggling to understand this idea that you've sold out by having a comfortable bed. Yeah. Because those those sleeper buses, well, actually, sleeper buses are really practical because you don't have to book Hotels, a hotel. Yeah. yeah. So you're saving loads of money, yeah. especially if you're a big band like we were. You're saving loads of money. Yeah, yeah. But it's just that it, it looks it looks bad. It looks, you know, to the DIY world, it looks like um, like who's going to step out of the bus? Is it going to be Britney Spears or is it going to be Justin Bieber? Oh no, it's Chumbers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a signifier, and a lot of those rules were signifiers. It was an aesthetic thing, as as much as because as the much the as a the, the sound and the messages that you're getting across in your music are not aligned with maybe with with other people who use tour buses. You mean? Yeah. Is that what you think? Is that what you mean? Well, I don't know. I'm struggling to <laughs> sort of understand why. That would be such an issue. Listeners, there's now a very perplexed look <laughs> on his face. That's, that's my normal it's just look. jealousy. That's really what it is, isn't it? If we're Well, I, well I, no, I think some people... So with Fugazi, it's definitely not jealousy. They were big, they were famous, but they stuck to their DIY principles because that's the thing that drove them. That's the energy that, that they needed to do that thing. Okay. And I totally love that. I think it's brilliant. So that, that, that's what gave them, got the creative juices going. Yes, yeah. Whereas the creative juices were, were, were you were getting from somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Our creative <clears throat> juices were, were, were from punk rock and DIY uh, principles, but they were also from, you know, uh, musicals and the Beatles and, and Frank Zappa and... And um, the politics of of doing things on a on a on a different scale, on a to a different level. So, for instance, um, instead of 
instead of getting on a soapbox at Hyde Park Corner, which is very DIY, you think, do you know what? I'm going to go to college and learn how to be a, a filmmaker and I'm going to make films and they're going to be really good and I'm going to be Ken Loach and start making films that really change people's ideas about things. And even and if you get the chance to do that in Hollywood, all the better because... Whereas, of course, the person who's still on the soapbox in Hyde Park Corner is going, you've sold out mm. going to Hollywood. So that's what we were discussing. All these were the discussions, in fact. In fact, you, you two are kind of doing a good job of being two members of the band around then. Oh, great. With having different eyes, yeah, yeah. wondering, well, what, what is this? And some people were really against it and some people were really for it. One of the things that I really liked as an argument which I've always liked, is that I like a bit of chaos and a bit of, who knows what's going to happen, let's just do it. Um, it it's not, you don't have to be clear and clean cut about everything. Um, sometimes you just think, ah, oh, it's not quite right, but let's just do it and see what happens. And that I, I love that argument, that just that thing. Of, well, that, that makes me think of your mum again. Of, of like it will be, <laughs> it'll be all right. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to dive. Yeah. It, you know, we talk about the unknown, the known, yeah. and the unknown, or um, uncertainty. And yeah. y y y when when you catastrophize, when you're anxious and you worry, mm. you think it's going to go wrong. You obviously have been in. Uh, I imagine you've been through uncertainty and each time you popped up the other side going oh that was interesting yeah uh i'm glad i did that I've, and i probably there probably have been a lot of times when i've popped up the other side and gone that was a bad idea <laughs> won't do that again it, well yeah but you may not do it again but, but you survived and yeah. you learned yeah, yeah. yeah. from it yeah but every time the stakes are getting higher right so now you're at a point where you get signed to emi yeah and then it at some point it really starts to to go Big bang. Yeah, it's straight away. Did it? It was it was immediate, yeah, and it was an absolute shock. Yeah. We just thought, what on earth is going on? This is ridiculous. And that's um Yeah, so so by having ten or more years, however long it was before that, of being in a band and having these great principles which were kind of holding us together as as friends and as 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 music makers and whatever meant that when it all happened we we had endless meetings all the time when it all happened we sat down and went what how do we navigate this what should we do um so like for instance we said um when we get some money from this which we inevitably are going to because it's suddenly number one in australia and <coughs> blah, blah blah um all over the world what should we do? Let's. We had these two people, Doug and Eve, who were our who were excuse me, negotiating business things because we couldn't have done all that because it had to be sorted out in all different parts of the world and everything. So they they did that. So we got them on board. They were just old friends, but they'd worked with uh, Motorhead and Hawkwind. Mm. So we were like, oh, brilliant! <laughs> Come on, they're great. And um, so there were eight of us, and then there was Doug and Eve. That was one entity. So we said, that's nine people. And we always split everything equally, always. Uh, let's say split everything into 10 and the 10th part, we just give it away to people that, that need it. And we did that for about three years. 
and uh, that was quite a lot of money. Um, but it kept us, kept our feet on the ground. We were getting just letters and emails and stuff from people all over the world going, I'm doing a, a pirate radio station in Italy <coughs> and we've heard that you're giving money away. <laughs> it would really help if yeah. we could have a bit of money towards a, we're trying to save up for a new transmitter or something. So we'd be like, yeah, fine. You know, where do we <laughs> send it? And that sort of thing was great because it, it kind of kept us thinking, there's a point to this. Mm. We're not just doing it because it's fun and because it's... And similarly, when, um, you know, we were like, don't send limos for us anywhere because we won't get in it. Send us a, a minibus with, you know, 12 seats. So, so you've got standards. Yeah. <coughs> you've got standards. Yeah. So sleeper bus is okay, limos not. Yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Okay. Yeah, okay. I got it, I got it. Yeah. Set of rules. Yeah, f- the, going first class on an aeroplane, to me, that was always no... Mm. The other thing is that we were savvy enough to know that whenever you did these things, you're paying, you're for, paying it. for it. Yeah, that's right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we had we had this these friends in a band called Credit to the Nation that we worked with for quite a while, and they got kind of they started doing really well. They got on the front page of the New Musical Express and started doing well. And they just they they lived the life. They did it. They did all that. And we were watching from the sidelines, thinking, "Oh yeah, we don't do that sort of thing." <laughs> And the first payment we got, which is quite a long, you know, it's like, it takes about a year or something. Mm. I remember Dan Burke coming to a meeting and he goes, uh, and we were like, oh, we, look, we got some money, you know, we've got some money in the bank and, and it got split and, and Dan Burke goes, yeah, um, I bought a, a Hoover from a <laughs> travelling uh, vacuum cleaner salesman who came to the door and we were like, what? Because he, he always had a dust allergy. He had a dust <laughs> allergy. He said, this bloke came around, he was selling these hoovers that, st- that take all the dust out of the room. And we we're like, oh, right. Oh, yeah, well, that's funny. And we said, well, how much was that? And he said, £600. <laughs> You've spent £600 on a vacuum cleaner? And we wouldn't let it go. We were like in stitches. We thought it was the funniest <laughs> thing ever. It's like, he's now he's, he's in the high life. <laughs> <laughs> now he's splashing out. So it was never like, you know... A cars or you know houses or anything like that it was the 600 pound vacuum <laughs> i read something about uh at one point i don't know, i might might butcher this that you you got offered something like one and a half million dollars to sell or license the song to nike or somebody yeah and it was a very quick and decisive no we're not doing it yeah do you remember that what and, yeah and, was it was it as hard as because that that seems like for most people that would be a much harder decision than it sounded like it was. Yeah, it sounds it sounds mad now, but at the time it was really, um, and it would be the same now because Nike had had such a rep, such a bad reputation for sweatshop labour and for their labour practices in you know Indonesia and everything. It was awful, really awful. There's no way we could we could take money off them and allow them to use the song. Um, they even offered to um, to take us to Indonesia to look round the, the factories to prove that... And, you know, we know how that works. Mm. It's, it's really easy to set that up. And uh, there was a case not that long ago, actually, again, which was Nike. And so it kind of made me think, oh, yeah, I'm glad we did that. And we did that a lot. We turned loads of people down. And, and was everybody of the same mind? That's what I was wondering. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So, so in terms of like going back to what we were saying earlier, you'd got a group of people whose values were really quite similar. Yeah. And so yeah. when you had these meetings, it, it it was genuine collective. There was no leader. There's no. nobody saying, I think we should do this and everybody's following. It was all of you yeah. uh, on the same page. Yeah. yeah. And there would be differences. There would be conversations. Yeah. There would be debates, I'm sure. But oh, big arguments, yeah. Yeah. But And because and, um, we used to say, we used to say um, equal pay, equal say. Everybody gets the right to <coughs> But what happens in, in, in reality, the equal pay is easy. You, that's it. It's, it's money. It's, it's, it's a kind of physical thing. But in terms of um, the dynamics of how decisions are made, that's very different because some people will talk more than others. Yeah. So, like, for instance, uh, me and Alice tend to gob on about things and try and sway people's opinions on things and, and all that sort of thing. Whereas Danbert, for instance, is really quiet. He's, he's just a lovely, quiet bloke. And uh, he kind of sit there and let conversations go backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and then kind of go, yeah, it sounds all right to me, yeah. And that was, and that's up to him. If he wanted to say something, he knew he could. But um, but he often didn't want to. And if he, if he really wanted to, he would. He'd be really you know, like vociferous about something. So, yeah, and, and it was the same with... Right at the beginning, we went, ah, oh, this is the way rock and roll works. People... Um, uh, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle eight, chorus, repeat. Let's not do that. Let's ditch the idea of choruses. Let's have songs where you're talking about something, it goes from A to Z. Uh, and we, we worked out within, I don't know, six months of writing songs like that, that that's rubbish, it doesn't work. And that it just, it's just like an essay with a bit of a tune behind it. You want the, you want the comfort of a, of a repeat that tells a story in it that emphasizes something. And so you're like, well, that's what choruses are. So let's go back to choruses. We all sort of think, let's swap instruments. You don't have to all stick to one instrument and say, oh yeah, I'm the, I'm the guitarist. So we did a couple of gigs where Alice played bass on something and then Midge would take the guitar off and give it to Danbert. And then it, we, and we were swapping it. Oh, I'll play drums on this next one. Some of the early gigs, that's what we did. We were swapping instruments all the time. And again, we we're like, that doesn't work. Harry is clearly a really good drummer, mm. and and I'm not. Why am I sitting behind the kit? This is stupid. And, and did any of those experiments come off? Um, I know that one did. One one of the experiments was let's not do it like the other lot and not live it up. Yeah. So, there, so, there, yeah. so I think that tells us there must have been some some experiments, that were, and also signing to yeah. EMI. You know, that was an yeah. experiment to some extent yeah. as well, and that, yeah, because that could have easily gone the other way, exactly. And yeah. and yeah, the story would have been very different, presumably. Mm. And yeah, because we did a lot of things that were a bit that were a bit mad. We used to again, like talking about like the idea of, of disruption. Um, so we played a concert with uh, in Germany with. Sonic Youth and Smashing Pumpkins and some other bands, I can't remember. Um, we were chatting with the people from Sonic Youth beforehand. Lovely people. Don't make music anything like ours, but lovely people. And we were like, this is great, you know, having a chat. Smashing Pumpkins, <coughs> out of bounds, don't go near the dressing room. Security on the dressing room, all that sort of thing. 
Well, this is a bit weird. They came and did the sound check. They were headlining, so they did the sound check first. And they took over everybody else's sound check time, which is unforgivable, really. Yeah. It's, it's so, um, it's, it's a horrible thing to do. And they were jamming on stage. And we were watching, we were, we were saying to people, can you go and explain and say, look, we're running out of time, and it means that us and Sonic Youth aren't going to get a sound check. And they'd go and say, oh, no, they, Billy says they just, they just need some more time. And they took everybody's sound check. Uh, so we so we were like, this is ridiculous. And just before they went on stage, you know, you're all backstage. It's all really nice. You've got your own dressing room, but there's a communal. The security came, their security, and swept everybody off the corridors and said, into, you had to go into your rooms and stay there while the band come up the corridor to go on stage. And, you know, by this time, I don't know how old I was then, but, you know, we're, we're, we're old people. We... We're not, it's not like kids at school. It's like, what do you mean? I'm, no, I'm not going to go in my dressing room. And they're like, so this thing went on. Eventually the band get through and go on stage. So backstage, we're like, right, we've got to do something about this. <laughs> it was being filmed. It's on live German TV. So we, we had this idea. And so during one of the songs, this big guitar solo thing is on. And Dan, but from the side of the stage, and it's, there's, it's on YouTube somewhere. He just walks on stage in front of this huge audience, completely naked, <laughs> with the word punk written in big letters across his chest. He just walks into the middle of the stage and they're going like that and he stands there and he just goes like that. Stands boss, there for a boss. minute. Just wave, waving for, just, for just, some of the listeners. Just read what I've got here, have a look, and then just walks off really calmly. And then security kind of realise what's going on and they, they're running around and they jump on him and big kind of, Tussle ensues off off stage, which is brilliant. But that's the kind of thing we did every so often. We were like, so it's just a little uh, little protest. It's like the finger, yeah, like, fingers up. It's yeah. like don't you know? And of course, German TV said you'll never appear on German TV again. And this, you know, um, they were going mad. You know, we did the same in America on the whatever it's called the um, one of these big American talk shows where we changed the words to tub thumping. So it was about a, an imprisoned. Um, uh, <coughs> Leonard Peltier. It was a, oh no, no, it was Mumia Abu Jamal. It was a, a, a black prisoner who'd been framed for, and the politics of the situation was such that he kept getting his hearing delayed and delayed and delayed. It became a big thing amongst kind of socialists and anarchists in America. So we changed the words to say, "Free Mumia Abu Jamal," on stage. Uh, David Letterman. Sure. Mm. And as soon as we came off stage. All these people with you know microphones attached to their faces and clipboards. We've got to do it again. We, we can't do it. that. Can't go out on, on TV. That can't go out. On TV. Can can we do it again? We can we do it? David's really unhappy, and we 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 can't have that. And we were like, well, that's fine. We know we're not doing it again. Yeah. And they were like, well, can we just run through the that verse and, and we'll retake that? And we're like, no, no, we're going now. And they're going, well, we well, we're not going to show the segment if you don't do it. And we're like, fine, don't show it. And I think. You did, know, they the not, rest, did they not show it? Or they did. And they showed it. They did. And, they, and so we were like, well, I'm glad we did that. Because we couldn't have faced ourselves if we had, had to go on and redo it and say, oh, well, sorry, we said that thing. I, I see. In all you've been saying, it's, I mean, it's really interesting that you, it seems to me that you've taken, the, the group of you have taken this, gone on this journey of just trying to work out what's right for you 
really right for you and not what is expected of you. Yeah. Um, not the way things are done. Yeah. You've taken bits from here and you've taken bits from there and you sort of... I, I was thinking, you know, earlier I said you're living outside the system or on the edge of the system. Actually, I, th- I think what you, what you learn is to play with the system. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what you're doing there. You're going, actually, yeah. we, 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 we're, not, we're not here for you. We're here for us. Yeah. And we've got our opinions and we've got ways of doing things. So yeah. we're going to play. And we, we've just done that. We've changed the words because that's important to us. To us. Yeah. yeah. And, and you want yeah. us on your show. <laughs> and you so, want, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. And take it or leave it. Yeah. And, and is, that, is, that, is that still there with you? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It is. And I think I think a lot of it is is the realization that, that we had from quite early on that of of who we were and what we were doing as a group of people. Um understanding that what we were doing was making this collaborative thing, this creative thing collaboratively, and we were there to enjoy it and to and to enjoy our time together making this thing. And if other people wanted it to be something else and wanted to push us into doing something else... Yeah, great. No, no, that, that, no. what we do is we do the thing that we want to do. And if they want to come and say, actually, we'd prefer it if, you, if we got some outside producers in and, and we, you know, put some... Let's put a string section on that. Cause we don't, we're like, no, 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 we, this is how we do things because we've learnt how to work with each other in a way that's really mutually respectful and and loving and and this is why we do it this is why we do it because yeah. we, we do it because we enjoy it this way yeah. we don't do it and if we did it another way we wouldn't enjoy it we might have some more fame more money more success yeah. if that's your definition of success yeah. but for you this is this we were optimizing for us enjoying what we do yeah so that it doesn't feel like work yeah if it feels more like play. Yeah. And and part of that is to is to is to to do our is to do ourselves or even now with with say with the choir or with theatre or whatever I'm working in, I think I want to do this in a way where it's not the normal way of doing it. So that p- other people can see it and go, ah, that's possible. But but do do you do it? not the normal way because you don't like the normal way or because you're just an awkward fucker and you want to do it differently. It it could be that second thing, but that that is only allowed if you do it really well. Yeah. So you've got to be confident that the different way yeah is got real substance. Yeah, and that people so so like my friend Sarah who's a writer, she we'd we'd, we'd written some stuff together, theatre and stuff like that. And she said um she was doing some work with Welsh National Opera and she said, have you ever written anything like opera before? I said, no, not at all, of course not. And she said, do you want, do you want to have a go? And I said, yeah, of course I do. And I remember coming off and she was like, okay, I'm going to put your name forward to, to be part of this project to do it, you know, and write for opera. And um, I remember coming off the phone and saying <coughs> to Casey, um, I've just been asked to <laughs> write some opera. We were both like, what? <laughs> it's ridiculous. And walking into the, one of their rehearsal rooms at Welsh National Opera, these huge, grand rehearsal rooms, they have these um, um, Steinway pianos, which are worth 
£90,000. And they just kind of queued up in the corridor. And I, that kind of, that atmosphere of those places and the players that come in, everything's, everything's done to a strict T and everything. And I come in and I'm like, I'm just a punk rocker from, from Burnley. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the conductor. So I wrote this music and it, and it was fine. It was, you know, it worked and everything. And uh, every so often the conductor would say, um, uh, I'm not sure, Boff, would you, do you think that should have a, you know, a diminuendo? <laughs> or, or, uh, or should we, do you think, are you happy with it like that? And I'd, I'd, I'd kind of go, just, you know, just play it. And they'd play it and I'd go, yeah, I can see. Yeah, go on then, do give it a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, and, so you're, you're allowing them to tweak. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and, and that's knew, collaboration, right? And I knew I, I knew I knew I didn't have the language yeah. to to do it properly, but I knew enough about why a melody works and yeah. how instruments work. <clears throat> so you you've got this through all this. It, it's just just a constant theme of it's not necessarily confidence. It, it's. I mean, I think. I think in big it's party. Idiocy. <laughs> well, it's sort of somewhere in between the two, isn't it? It's like, well, and also, I don't really care because I'm here for the experience. I'm here to be able to sit down years later and say, "Yeah, I've done an opera." Yeah. You know, and and not not just not just just to say it, but to have experienced it yeah. and to have had that. And because you take those steps, you get out of your comfort zone musically or in any other way. Yeah. And you do learn something, whether yeah. it's a failure or a success. Absolutely. You learn. Yeah. You do. And and the things that you learn are things where you think, ah, I, I could do that better next time because now I know. But you don't you don't show that to the room. You don't say, look, I've got to tell you all before we sit down you know you string players and whatever i've got to tell you all i don't really know what i'm doing um <laughs> let's hope you can make it sound good because i'm you don't do that you you kind of go this is how i do it and let let me but yeah you, probably because they, they they also want you to succeed as well they you know they don't want you to yeah. thought they want to learn something too yeah i had a, recently i had to work i've been doing a lot of work with people from other cultures and stuff which I love doing because, you know, I love mixing things up. So I'm like mixing a brass, a, a, a northern brass band with uh, Indian tabla players and sitar players. That kind of thing of thinking, I wonder, I wonder what that sounds like. Yeah. And then trying it and thinking, yeah, that's, that's, that works. I find that really exciting. So recently I had to, I've been working with Ukrainian refugees, musicians. Um, and this... I was writing some music for this stringed instrument, a Ukrainian instrument, and um, I'd not—I'd never seen one before or heard one. But I know this this girl had brought this instrument over, and it has sixty-five strings. It sounds a bit like a harp, but it's played sitting down on your knee. Beautiful, beautiful instrument, and I—I th I thought, well, I've got to write music for this instrument that I. I, you know, I listen to it on YouTube and think, okay, sounds absolutely beautiful. How on earth do you write music for that? So I had a conversation with the, the girl who was playing it. She's really young. She's like 16 or something. And just asked her loads of questions. So what, what's the bottom note? What's the top note? What does that do? And, what do you, and how do you do this? And how do you do that? And, and then she told me all this stuff. And then I went away and wrote it and then came back and she played it. And I thought, oh, yeah, so that's not quite right. I, don't, I haven't done that one right. 
So it was just <coughs> me blundering into it, but making sure that the outcome, when it's performed, sounds great. I mean, there's, there's quite a tradition of this in music, isn't there, of, of people reinventing themselves, you know, particularly the yeah. ones that got quite good at it, like, you know, Bowie and, yeah. and others who, who, yeah. who just, I mean, he did it for himself. Yeah. He did, you know, to the end. Yeah. He didn't need to keep changing. He could have just stuck yeah. with the... But he just got bored or yeah. he just loved that process of learning yeah. or... So it, it, I don't know. It just and, that's, and that's so inspiring with, you know, when you see people like that, you think, okay, that's possible. You don't have to stick to the thing that you're doing. At the point when the band was coming to an end and that, you know, that phase, that chapter was, was ending. That's in some respect a retirement of sorts, right? And we, and it's probably pretty early in life. Yeah. Um, and we know what that does to people. It's, it's, it's the other yeah. side is quite a daunting yeah. phase and people lose themselves. Right? Yeah. And you didn't, mm. you, if anything, it sounds like, you know, I've read a bit about some of the things you did yet next. And there was one moment where you burnt yourself out because there were just too many projects that you, yeah. you, you'd taken on. Yeah. But there's all sorts, you know, there's, there's the, we'll talk a little bit about some of them in a second, the choir yeah. and a couple other bits. Um, and obviously the fell running. Were you, I'm trying to think about, there's something in you, Boff, where you, obviously you didn't fall into that trap. The money didn't change you. The success didn't change you in the way that it does a lot of people. And I don't know that you had a really clear idea of where you were going and why you were going there. What was it that was carrying you through? What, you know, what, what meant you got busy again in a way where a lot of people wouldn't? Well, art, I think if you're not, not a professional artist, I just think if you're a creative person or, or you, you believe in, in doing something artistic, if you wake up in a... It, it, you don't decide to do it or not, it's just there. So I can't not have creative ideas. If I see... Um, I'm terrible. If I go and see a, a band... Within a half a song, I'm thinking, these would be really good if they added such and such thing. If they just added, oh, that needs a little bit of this. Or I think, oh, I wish they weren't wearing, you know, T-shirts with other bands' names on because it makes them just look like they've walked in off the street. Well, if, if they look sharp and interesting, then these would be really... Do you know what I mean? I'm starting making as if I'm some kind of creative director of everything I look at. Which is ridiculous. It's but there's a problem with that as well, isn't there? Because you can't necessarily just enjoy it. No, and you it, can't switch it off. And no, you, you no. do, I do, you know, if, if, if you're awake in the night, as lots of people are, you know, you just wake up and you think, oh, I'll read for a while. And then I start having ideas. And I just think, stop, stop having ideas. I need to go back to sleep. I'm like, oh, yeah, but wouldn't it be interesting if such a thing? And oh, is the, and is the uh, fell running part of you um, processing this and dealing with it? I think it's uh, the reason I asked the uh, question. I, I will let you answer. But yeah, the reason the reason I asked the asked the question is because it feels very disjointed to everything else. It's a very different mode, you know. And and again, from what I understand, mm. you're not just running up a hill. You know, this is proper. This is you did a twenty twenty four hour thing. You know, this is this yeah. is full on stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's not. It's definitely a balance. When I first started doing it, it was a balance in terms of lifestyles, and that was really important, which was, on the one hand, you tour in Germany and Switzerland for five weeks in, in a minibus, 
drinking far too much and staying up till three or four o'clock every night. You get up in the morning and, and you're in Switzerland and you're at the foot of a mountain and you think, I'm going to go up there before sound check. And that's the balance. And it cleans out your system and it clears your head space yeah. and it gives you something <coughs> completely different to... And that was really important, I think. I didn't I probably didn't even realise at the time how important that was. Um, and I'm guessing that you wouldn't be listening to music or anything like that. No. You're totally on your own with your own thoughts. Yeah. You're not doing it with other, other people. It's quite an isolated thing. And it's grueling yeah. as well. And, and I used to run with the club sometimes, but it mainly it's something you do on your own, yeah. yeah. Me and Casey go running, and it's that our kind of joke is that when we go running, which is probably about twice a week we go running together, it's just like a house meeting. We like discuss so you do chat about what you're up yeah. to and what you you know, um, but, but but when I'm on my own, it's yeah, it's great. I, I'm, I'm I really like that idea that it's it's about providing some balance. Yeah, yeah, and I think I think the pandemic gave that to to a lot of people. People realised that going and finding somewhere to go for a walk was was really important. Well, and so many people discovered bits of nature that they never realised yeah. were on their doorsteps. Yeah. yeah. And isn't that, that's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. It's great. Yeah. So what about the choir? Because that, did that come about during lockdown? No, before that. It, it was, was before. before. Yeah. Um, what, so, th- th- again, it's very unconventional. There's, yeah. like this, there's a lot of people in the choir. Yeah. 70 odd people or something. Yeah. And then you've got a manifesto. Yeah. And you write your own music. Yeah. And you you talk about it as we're a gang we're a band we're yeah. not you try not to we're not we're not we're not associating as a choir yeah <coughs> and did and this came from you yeah why what was tell what was it about that came from when 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 Chimbomba had stopped for a few years i was just writing music for theater and arts projects and all that sort of thing and i thought it'd be good to have a band again or you know just that it's a lovely thing to have a kind of communal thing that you you do and um i remember talking to my friend phil about it and we're like it'd be good to do something but I, i'm not really sure what i wasn't prepared to just write some songs and just have a, a group of people playing music i was thinking need to think of a really interesting idea and then at some point just thought wouldn't it be good if you crossed um like the clash or crass or whatever with the mormon tabernacle choir if you could have that essence of beauty and power of a choir which is so beautiful and incredible uh but sing about you know the stuff that the clash sang about and i just thought that's something that other people haven't done so i'll have a try so 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 there's another there's another thing i mean you really are looking for ways to innovate all all the time aren't you yeah yeah looking for things that where you think, ooh, that sounds interesting. No one <coughs> else has done it. I, I, I'll better have a go. And the, yeah, and the, okay. the, do, how did you find the people? I, I, I put it on social media with just saying, I've got this idea. It's mixing, you know, punk and choral music. And, and, it's, um, and it's got a manifesto. I've written half this manifesto because I love manifestos. Art, the history of art is just brilliant because you set down these ways which say, this is why we are different. That's what a manifesto is. Like some of the Dadaists did it and the Surrealists and the Futurists. 
this is why we're different to everybody else and we're going to change the world with it. So I like that idea. So I wrote this manifesto and then said, anybody, is anybody interested in this idea? You don't have to be a singer or anything. Just come along and we can have a talk about it. And I had one bit of a song that I thought we could try and sing, which was when... So the story I, I was kind of telling earlier about Johnny Rotten, about Sex Pistols being on TV for the very first time. The first time they'd been on TV, the cameras are on him and the song starts. But before he gets to the lyrics, Johnny Rotten just looks at the camera. And this is 1976, and I'm watching it on a black and white telly probably. And he just looks at the camera and shouts, get off your ass!" And that was like an incredible shock. Wow, what did he just say? <laughs> he just, he's just on telly and he just shouted, get off your ass!" So I thought it'd be really nice to have just the words get off your ass" done in four-part harmony. So I just wrote a nice little ascending thing with that sung as a harmony. And can we see, Can we listen to this? Can we see it? It's, it's on, we, we made an album, I think it's on the first album. It's just, it's dead simple. Yeah, and it's, it's there, it's out there somewhere. And uh, we just tried it in this, there were about 10, maybe 12 people turned up. I said, let's just try this. And I said, we won't use words like, you know, your tenors and alto and... If you think you sing low, stand over there. If <laughs> you think you sing high, stand over there. You really don't like convention, do you? <laughs> Kept it really simple. And we just tried this thing of going, get off your ass, get off your ass, but keeping it as a, a nice harmonic thing. And, and everyone went, oh, that was good. It's like, I was like, see, you can sing. You can all sing. So, so can I just, what you're doing by not using the words, tenor, etc., yeah. is... You're lowering the barriers to entry. You're saying, "Don't yeah. worry. If you don't know all that yeah. stuff, really, honestly, it's not yeah. important." Yeah, yeah. So we, it, we did it's a about song bringing people in. Yeah, and some people do do want those terms, and that's fine. Yeah, but for people that don't, this this scary, aren't they? And mm. we we worked with a um, lovely uh, bloke called Tanda, who's a South African musician, and we did a collaboration with him uh, last year on a song that was about Yorkshire. And he came in to teach part of the song to Commoners Choir. And and they were freaked out because he was using musical terminology all the time and they had no idea what he was on about. <coughs> and I could see them, like, scared, looking at me, as in, boff, what's he on about? What's he on about? They were like, these... Oh, my goodness, he's, he's saying... He's saying, can the baritones sing this set, certain part? And everyone's going... <laughs> <laughs> which one, which ones are which ones yeah. are the baritones? well it, because it's in 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 tribes cultures groups it's a shorthand isn't it yeah and 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 it's useful when everybody yeah. knows it but when not everybody knows what the shorthand yeah. it just excludes people it becomes yeah and which is you know you can have those conversations about uh, academia yeah oh absolutely that it is shorthand between academics but it it's there to exclude people as yeah. well which I find really strange, especially if you're trying to write something which is kind of world-changing. What's really important? If you write something really important, then surely you want everyone to understand it. Yeah. But that's a big <laughs> argument, isn't it? A big discussion. That's another conversation, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But even though the context of the conversation around, you know, the song and the success of Chumbawamba and all the rest of it can look like it's... Um, just a thing that happened over there but actually the deeper more interesting thing is that you figured out a way to 
get a message across. You figured out a way to collaborate with people that shouldn't have been able to collaborate. You know, yeah. there's, they're, they're the themes that are really interesting yeah. in, in what you've been able to do and achieve. And it's because yeah. of some sensibilities that are bucking trends. And I, yeah. and it feels like it's, it is actually really rooted in this idea of what does it mean to be an anarchist? Yeah. Because that runs all the way through all of this. It does, yeah. It does. And the, the whole thing of... So one of the problems with, with, say, Marxism as an ideology is that Marx was writing in a certain time and certain age, and he wrote down these these blueprints for change, Much many of which are you know really good things, but that didn't take into account environmentalism or feminism, because that was before... You know, so there's lots of stories about, you know, Karl Marx's wife was really put upon and, and treated really badly. And you think, well, how, how on earth does that fit in with mm. international, you know, revolutionary socialism? You know, you stay in the kitchen. And um, and whereas anarchism is open-ended enough to, to adapt, to be adaptable to what's going on. And it says... Um, so the three three things we've got in the choir at the moment that we're, we're doing, a, making a film feature film and the film is called collaboration disruption adventure because those are the three things that we really want to do in the choir but that could apply to anarchism and that could apply to everything you know punk rock or anything i've done in my life is it is it a good way of collaborating with other people and working with other people communally is it Shaking things up a bit somehow. Dis is it disrupting things rather than just being boring, <coughs> same old thing? And is it adventurous? Is it yeah. fun? Yeah. And 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 you are sort of a um, well, you're a teenager in the seventies, and you embrace these ideas. Mm. If you were a teenager now. What what do teenagers now who are, who are going into music or want? What is it? What is it they're <laughs> yeah um, what seeking? Does, what does it mean to 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 take <clears throat> those ideas and and use them today? Um, 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 um. Well, I still think there are incredible things being produced all the time. You know whether. It's a radio play or a, you know, a film or whatever, and I see things which still which shock me, and I think, wow, I didn't I didn't expect that. That's that's fantastic and really inspiring, and I think that's still going on all the time. And as far as like young people, like I, me as a teenager, I I look at my children. So like Johnny's obsessed with hip hop. He's fourteen, obsessed with hip hop. Like he he knows like. The raps and like everything, and he just knows it all. And it's, it, I've had so therefore I've had to get involved in knowing about these things and learning and seeing what it is. And 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 it's some of it's fantastic, really inspiring. So we had a thing the other day where we, me and Johnny we go off in the camper van because I, I take him to skate parks in mm. different parts of the country. And uh, he'll, we do this thing where he just wants to play his hip hop all the time, but we do a thing where he plays a song and then I, I say, Okay, me next, and he, he he puts one of mine, and so I said, and so I'll often go. Oh, that reminds me about of such and such thing. Um, so he played something. He's really into this um, hip hop artist called um, what's it called? Uh, JPEG Mafia. 
and it's just crazy. It's like it's not. It, it starts on one beat and then changes to another, and then the singing, and then there'll be some strings come in, and it's just all over the place. And I was like, okay, play this. Play um, Brown Shoes, Don't Make It by Frank Zappa, and he plays that. Totally different instrumentation and attitude and singing and everything, but he he got he got it. It's you can like, see oh, the connection. Oh yeah. yeah, and it's that thing of taking music but doing something with it that's, that other people haven't done before, kind of thing. And I think there's a lot of that in hip hop. It's um, everybody knows the standard stuff. That's yeah, you, know, you think <laughs> oh you get a drum beat and then someone just does a rap over the top of it. Do you think, just thinking, these days it is much easier to find out how things are done. You know, whether it's yeah. building a lean-to, which is what I'm doing at the moment right. at home. Um, <laughs> you know, there's loads of YouTube yeah, videos yeah, yeah. and it's like you can yeah. learn how to do it. Yeah. But in the past, unless you, you knew make, you someone, yeah, you yeah. had to make it up. And, yeah. and when you make it, you innovate when you make it up or yeah. when you bring two things, you combine two things. Yeah. You're saying so, uh, you know, and, and obviously social media, internet, etc., is wonderful in so many ways. Mm. Um, Do you know what? But though, it Ray, also, I, I, it can I, stifle creativity. If, if you're not having to just like make it up. But mm. I was thinking on the similar wavelength and I, I think what, we're, what we're learning from the way Boff is thinking is that, you're, a lot of people go wrong because take your lean to if you just make it up from nothing it's very likely you're not going to have a very good lean to at the end of it right you're yeah, going to that's pretty much what i've got <laughs> actually <laughs> whereas it's what, be a lean what, down. What, what, yeah lean down <coughs> whereas what i'm hearing from a lot of the things that you've shared with us boff is that the thing that you're doing is you having a pretty clear idea of what the end point looks like like I know, I know. I want it to feel like this. I want it to look like that. I want it. This is this is the mm. idea. But you're also then not. You're not going. Well, I'm not interested in anyone else's opinion. I'm not like I'll watch the videos. I'll get. I'll try some stuff. Mm. But I want to move closer to that thing. That feels like the thing that you've figured out. And that's interesting because it's because that's the best of both worlds. You know, you that you do yeah. innovate. You do end up with something that looks special and looks different and doesn't look like everybody else's. Mm. But you also get get to a result and you build on the shoulders of giants in the process. And I suppose along the way, what what I've realised that the, the the people I've collaborated with for my entire working life, uh, of that I I kind of find them because. I know that they do something much better than I can. <laughs> so, um, like with Yelene too. So, like in the choir, for instance, we've got we've got a stonemason. He's one of the few remaining uh, people that travels around the country doing headstones, hand carved headstones. He's really good at it. Uh, and so, when we're thinking about the film, we're like, "Great, well, let's let's get Hep to do some carving of these three words, which the film's going to be about." You know, on some huge boulder up on the moors, and that, that's going to look fantastic. And he's such a kind of craftsperson; it's going <coughs> to look fantastic. So, I we can have that idea, but in the end, you've got to go. But Hep is the person that does it, mm. and we've found someone. So the collaboration is always really, really important. So if I was building a lean-to, um, well, you can come and help me. It's not finished <laughs> yet. Hold on, wait, wait, because he's going to tell you. It's, how to it's do it. only let's taken just, me two months. To, do it. I'm halfway through, <laughs> and it's taken me two months. <laughs> see, can you see the thing out the window there? That that 
shelter thing. Yeah. Because yeah, well, that was a lockdown innovation. But that was just a friend of ours who does a stage. He, he builds. He does stage building at uh, Leeds Playhouse for theatre. Oh, well, that's easy. For and him, someone then. said, "Oh, he's really good at doing, you know, shelves and stuff." So we said, "Oh, can you come and put some shelves up?" And then he came and we're like, "Do you think you can make a kind of shelter?" And he's like, "Yeah, I can do that." I'm like, brilliant. And he, it's not the sort of thing he he always does, but he's. Yeah. And I love people, and I love the idea that you 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 call on people to do things. You know, when we used to make albums, with we I think we did about thirteen or fourteen in the end, but by about the fourth album, we worked in a studio in Castleford. And the, the engineer is Neil Ferguson. Um, he used to be in punk bands as well and stuff. So brilliant engineer. He ended up being in the band in Chumbers. But for a while, he was the engineer in the studio. And I was messing around over some guitar pattern or something. And he said something about it and about the guitar thing. I said, well, show me. Show me what, what you're thinking. And he got the guitar and he played it perfectly. And I thought, why am I playing guitar? <laughs> and so I, I said... Well, you play it, and he was like, "Oh no, you know, it's you know, it's your band kind of thing." No, no, seriously, you play it. You do it better than me. And from then on, until until we split up, he played all the guitar on the studio albums, and I played it all live. But he did it all in the studio because he's better than me. Why would I? Why should I care? That's good. Yeah. And it, that's what I love that so kind of it's, collaboration. It's, so it's, it's much more of a collective. It's not about ego. Like, it's like, no, that's right. Better. It's not about ego. It. Yeah. Yeah. Which if, if the ego's there, it's about the idea that I'm really precious about ideas. But, yeah, people are brilliant at things, and so why not get them to do them? Boff, this has been, honestly, such a pleasure of a conversation. <laughs> I feel like we, 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 me and Ray will talk for hours about, about <laughs> stuff we've learned. We're going to go round and round. There's all sorts in here. You'll be in the camp, um, you'll be like, what on earth was he on? No, about? no, honestly, <laughs> it would be the opposite. It would be the opposite. There is a, there's, a, there's a similar attitude, and I can feel it yeah. in a lot of the stuff that we talk about. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the stuff that you're doing at the moment. Where should people find you? Um, if you've got anything to say to a... To, we've got an audience of at least one person. Yeah. <laughs> Um, is there anything you want to ask of them or, or, or is anything um, you want to kind of direct them towards? Well, I've got a website, but it's it's a bit rubbish, really. It just kind of says, this is what I'm up to. But there's some, a lot of good thoughts on there. Yeah. You write ferociously. <laughs> I do write ferociously, yeah. 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 I don't, I've got a bit of a gap at the moment, which is, well, when I say a gap, it's a gap in projects. So the choir is always ongoing, but it means that I can write this book that I've been wanting to write for ages. The book's called But. It's about, I heard this thing about when you're having a, you know, when people are talking to you and they, they give you a sentence, blah, 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 but. And then that reverses everything the thing you just, just said. said. <laughs> and I love that. I just think, great. And it's that disruption in something where you're like, oh, I'm really into you know, I'm, I love, you know, I love music and, you know, I've grown up with all this great music and then, but then the Sex Pistols were on telly in my living room. I was like, whoa, what do I do with that? So it's about that. And I'm really enjoying it, just going around collecting stories off people and talking to people and doing that thing that we said earlier about going to meet people. I'm going to meet uh, Dick Witts, who's, um, he lives in Brighton now. The last time I saw him, I've never talked to him, Last time I saw him was in the basement of a bookshop in Manchester because he used to host the Manchester Musicians Collective when I lived in Burnley. And my mates were in a punk band called Not Sensibles 
And I said, oh, I've heard that they've got a Manche- uh, collective in Manchester. We should go and see how it works and maybe we could set one up in Burnley, which is what happened in the end. So I went to this meeting and Dick Witts was there. And uh, there were people like from, this is really early, so it's like the fall and Joy Division before they were famous and stuff were there, all discussing ideas. Mick Hucknall, I was sitting next to Mick Hucknall, in this basement of a little, you know, radical bookshop in Manchester. And it changed my life. Of course it did. It had to. I went away from that meeting, got the bus back to Burnley. I was like, oh, <coughs> my goodness. This is how you organise things. You don't go and find, you know, promoters and managers. You find a venue yourself. You hire a PA. You get someone who, who knows how to... It was, you know, it was revolutionary for me. So I finally wrote to him a few weeks ago, found him on Facebook and said, can I come and talk to you? Just, just to have a cup of tea. Uh, I want to talk to you about the Manchester Musicians Collective. And he's obviously thinking, who is this weirdo? <laughs> Someone I've never met wants to come and have a cup of tea, you know, and he's coming all the way down to Brighton. But I'm really excited about it. I like just to sit with him and go, do you, do you understand what was happening in that room and what that effect that had on, on the world, you know, and it, how it spreads out and all that sort of thing? So, yeah, I'm loving it. And that's, what, that. and that's what you're exploring through the new book, then, is it? Yeah. The, the, those moments, because the word yeah. but is a turning point. Yeah. And so it creates outcomes that people yeah. don't necessarily understand how profound they become. Yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. And when some people do know. So, like Malcolm McLaren, for instance, uh, he did know. His, his life was spent doing things that he knew would shock people and would change people's ideas. Whereas a lot of people, like the Maybe Welfare State International knew, but some people just they just <coughs> do their thing and it has a profound effect on what other people think. Even could even be a sentence, you know, that you read somewhere that um Casey said this thing to me that she'd got from someone else, which was, I, I don't know, several years ago. And I was ranting about some you know, being angry about somebody in some in arts institution and about money being wasted on certain things and all that sort of thing. And she was like she said, look, I've learned this thing now, which is that if you're getting het up about something, you're getting angry about something, um, <clears throat> say to yourself, this is understandable to be like this. It's understandable, but is it useful? And now I think about that all the time. Whenever I'm... Oh, that, so I said, what you're saying is that one sentence... That one sentence... Has shifted the way yeah. you see the world. So, yeah. so you're, yeah. you, you, you're, the anger disappears. Yeah, you, 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 you're like... Why? What are What are they doing with that? That's and you think, hang on, the only th- person who's getting worked <laughs> yeah. up is me. Yeah. This yeah. is not going anywhere. Yeah. It's harming me. Let yeah. it go. Who cares? When's the book due out? Next year, sometime. Okay. But I've, again, I'm collaborating with this designer called Christian Brett, who's a fantastic designer, and he's he's a typesetter by trade. He used to do you know proper. Um, you know, um, letterpress type setting and everything. So he does things like, if I write something that's, he sent me some sample pages of what <coughs> I've been writing. I wrote this thing about, and it had this one bit of the sentence where it, where it said about things going round and round and round. And then it carries on, blah, blah, blah. And he gets, so you, I'm looking at the page, and it's going like this, and it goes, and it goes round and round and round, and then the type goes <laughs> down in a circle and then goes like this to, to the end, and then there's a full stop. So it makes this spiral on the page of, of words. And that's what he does. And I just think, I wouldn't even have thought of that. And he's doing this stuff that let him do it. That's brilliant. I'm, I'm really happy about it. 
I can't wait to read it. Um, remind us of the the stuff online that where people can find you. What's the URL? What's the Twitter handle? Um, my Twitter is just uh, Boff Wally. Uh, the Commoners Choir is commonersquire.com. My website is boffwally.com. Um, I think that's it, isn't it? I think that's it. Probably. Great. Well, come and see <laughs> us in Brighton. Oh, yeah, you're in Brighton, of yeah. course. Yeah. Come yes. On, come and see us in Brighton. Because oh, there's someone else I'm going to see in Brighton as well. Andy Roberts is the... Sorry, another digression. Go on, do it. Do when, it. I was, when I was still at school, I, st- I got into poetry. I was really into the idea of, of you know, northern working-class poets and everything. I got really into um, Adrian Henry and the Liverpool poets, which you do when you're at, at school. Um, and Roger McGough and people like that. And um, the uh, I didn't do well in a lot of subjects, but I did really well in English. And the, the English teacher said, oh, we've got... Um, a scholarship thing, which is just that we we pay for, we'll pay for someone to go and attend this poetry course for three days, and um, it's somewhere down south. Or something. And I said, and I I said, mm, not 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 really interested. The idea of going on a poetry course as a you know fifteen year old or whatever. I was like, no way. He said, well, I'll leave the leaflet with you anyway. And he left me this leaflet, and so I, I had a look through it, and it said all these different poetry things and it said one of them was uh, it's the Arvon Foundation I don't know if you know them they, mm. they run um, liter- literacy courses in various places and it was in Devon and it said music and words with Adrian Henry and Andy Roberts and I was like oh my goodness I get to go and do some stuff with Adrian Henry so I thought right I'll do it then and I got the train down it was in Devon and again life changing two, two, two and a half days Andy Roberts was the guitarist. He lives in Brighton now, and he worked with um, he worked with everyone, you know, philharmonic orchestras and theatre things. He did loads of stuff with poets, and he's worked with loads of famous people. And he's incredible. But again, I thought I need to tell him that there was this school kid that turned up on one of your courses and went away and thought. And I genuinely thought that's what I can do. I can do that. Words and music. I never picked up a guitar or anything in my life. I'd never played piano, and I just. But I thought that's what I want to do. So you're going to go tell him. Go tell him. So that, I, I almost said this earlier, but I'm, but now feels the right time to say it. If there's one thing that people should take from this conversation, there's a lot of things that people should take from this conversation. But if there's one thing, it's go and think about the people that you can say thank you to and go do it. That's that would be a lovely thing. Yeah. 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 The world definitely gets better yeah. by more people doing that. Teachers, really you know. Yeah, exactly. Teachers. Exactly. Yeah. Both, you, you, thank so you. you've seen the lovely clip of uh You're never gonna be you're never gonna be able to wind <laughs> you're <laughs> never gonna be able <laughs> to wind this up. You're never last, gonna last he's one, just gonna so carry on. on. Uh, Ian Wright, you know, ex Arsenal footballer, is on a football ground and he's talking about um <coughs> they're asking about about people influencing him and he talks about an old teacher that changed his life. Yeah. Uh, and the old teacher comes in. And Ian Rat's crying. He's mentioned him a few times, hasn't he? Yeah. He's hugging yeah. him and crying. It's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And you watch it and you're just like, you know, you're in tears because you just think, this this is exactly what people should do. They should go away and find those people and say, what a difference you made in my life. Because mm. it makes you feel good as well it does. To, to find them and to go and do that thing. Yeah. Thank you, Boff. Cheers, Boff. Honestly, Thank it's you. been so, such a, such a, such a pleasure. We really, really Great, thanks very much. I enjoyed that. Yeah.
that's it folks for show notes head over to the website at www.lifedonedifferent.ly where you'll find links a quick summary and you can also explore other conversations if you're enjoying this podcast then please tell your friends give us a good rating and remember to subscribe we're also really keen to hear your feedback so please do let us know what you think and give us your ideas over on twitter you can tweet us at life done diff that's double f Thank you.